Light and darkness don't battle with each other. You flip the light on and darkness is gone, right? So darkness actually only exists in the vacuum of the absence of light. We're the light. We're a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. If the people of God were to be full of faith in their heart, the very last thing we should do is run from evil, but run to the battle. I think some of us are worried that the light will get dirty if we get too close. Don't leave the world to the flies. Where's our faith at right now? Good morning. Truly glad that you are here. I want to welcome uh, all of our campuses, Lone Tree, Highlands Ranch, Castle Rock, Lakewood, our online folks, um, even talking about Parker people. I want to begin to uh, include them now uh, as we move forward in planning that campus. Uh, in the way uh, into all of our sanctuaries, they'll hand you the notes. And if you want to get those out, you will need a pen. There's a few fill in the blanks. You may want to take a few additional notes. If you uh, learn best by listening, that's great too. Uh, whatever works best for you. Uh, we're in a series called Salt. We're simply using a fairly uh, familiar verse of Scripture. Even people who aren't believers that may not read the Bible actually will use the terminology that Jesus used here. So it comes from Matthew, and it just simply, as a reminder, Jesus calls believers the salt of the earth, the light of the world, and a city that's set on a hill that cannot be hidden. And when I said that people that don't even read the Bible... Use the expression, have you ever heard someone say, that person's the salt of the earth? Have you ever heard that before? It's even a part of our, just, uh, our, our vocabulary. Simply, um, when it's said, what it means is that is a good guy, that is a down-to-earth woman, that person uh, is, is, that's good stock right there. That's the way it's supposed to be. So we're actually just talking about this right here. Uh, we're talking about what if we are the salt, if we are the light, if we're set on a hill for people to see, then, then what does that look like? And I think where the series actually comes from is that right now I seem to be getting so much email about politics and so many people that are talking about all that's going on with a lot of evil around our world. You can't look around our world right now and not notice that it seems like evil is ramped up, yes or no? There's just a lot of stuff going on out there. And I'm getting a lot of people, um, believers in particular, who seem to be so, I just don't know what to do with this. But some are very angry about it. I get it. Some are very despondent about it. I get it. Some feel afraid, and I get that too. But what does God want us to do? That's probably the thing we should be considering right now. What attitude does God want us to have, and how does God see this? So back to this idea of salt of the earth. I just want to point this out one more time. Um, we began the series a couple of weeks ago with this. I think that the day anybody lives in or the situation any of us find ourselves in, we always tend to think that it can't be any worse than what we're feeling right now. But the truth of the matter is, when Jesus wrote these words 2,000 years ago, even though they were written to a particular group of people right then and there, they're good for all believers for all time. And here's all I would say about that. When Jesus wrote these words, you're the salt of the earth, uh, you're the light of the world, and you're a city that's set on a hill, Christians had it much tougher then than they do right now. And so Jesus was actually trying to produce a mindset, a thought process, an understanding that sometimes the light shines brightest when it's darkest. Sometimes the salt is more potent when everything else is so bland. When everything else is the same. And so I, I think Jesus is trying to produce a mindset in us. God wants us to understand how he sees us and that it's not an accident the day or the time that we live in. 
All right, so taking that thought, I'm going to go a, a little bit deeper. What I want from this series is, if we're talking about being salt, being a light, a city that's set on a hill so that people can see it, here, here's what I want for you. I don't want you just simply to, um, to in, your, in your minds, go, um, yeah, that's true and that's right. What I want for you to do is to be able to take this message and apply it to your life when you're living every day. So I want it to be very practical for you. So um, here, here's what I transitioned and called the message today. Uh, how then shall we live? Now, actually, if I say the name Francis Schaeffer, anybody know that name, right? You have to be a certain age to know Francis Schaeffer. Okay, Francis Schaeffer uh, was a theologian uh, who lived in the 20th century, very, very smart man, uh, really understood God. Uh, Francis Schaeffer actually teaching and writing about the subject of believers living in a world that's evil uh, actually uh, th this was his quote. He asked believers, with all that God's given us and all that God's done for us and all, all that God has provided for us, how then should we live our lives? So let God decide that. So I'm going to start uh, this weekend in the book of Ephesians. And I'm going to do a couple of things in this so that you know right up front. I'm going to brag on some of our pastors this week. I'm really proud of the team that I work with. They bless me. And they do stuff behind the scenes that you never get a chance to hear about. So some of them I'm just going to flat out embarrass this week because of, of how they live their lives and some of the things that they do. Some folks in our community, I think, I think you'll get a lot out of it right there. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15. So this is from the Apostle Paul. Paul's writing to a church in the city of Ephesus. Uh, they're a pretty cosmopolitan place for that time. They're living in the city. Uh, Paul's writing to a group of people who are under pressure as believers trying to figure out how do we live out our faith? How, how do we let the light shine? How are we salt? And, and in fact, here, here was the truth. You and I have to walk the fine line of figuring out how to do it so that we don't turn people off. They had to figure out how to do it so they didn't get their heads cut off. There's a little bit of a difference in those two things right there. All right, so, so let, me, let me read Ephesians 5. Um, and, and Paul's talking to, again, a group of believers, and it applies to believers of all ages. So it just simply uh, begins with this. Be very careful. Just stop. Those words should make us pay attention, yes or no? Yes. So, so here's what he's, pay attention to this. Don't let this just skip over the water, you know, real quick or, or just in and out. Pay attention to this. Listen to this. Be careful. Be very careful then how you live your lives. Not as unwise people, but as wise people. One translation will say, not as the foolish, but as the wise. And then this part right here. Make the most of every what? every opportunity because the days are evil. there it is again believe it or not evil didn't happen in the year 2000 2001 2002 evil has been something that i mean folks it's it's been here believers have had to try to figure out how do we do what god told us to do even though culture or the world or uh, it just runs concurrent sometimes even in an ugly way Let's pull that back up real quick and let me finish reading that. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. And then he just concludes with this thought. Therefore, don't be, there it is again, foolish. Don't be unwise, but understand what the Lord's will is. So I think in this verse right here, uh, really what Paul does, he gives us three ways to live our lives very on purpose. If you've got a pen, the first one just simply is this. Uh, how do we apply this in our lives? How do we live this? Uh, number one, he, here's what he says. Uh, be careful and not careless. Careful versus careless. 
So I'll talk about this for just a moment. I won't spend the bulk of my time uh, in this one right here. Really, uh, two is the one that I wanna, I wanna get into and, and three a little bit, but let me, th- this, one, this one in my mind appears to be something that has to be said and I, I think that people, you, maybe you're like me, uh, I wake up in the morning with the best of intentions about how I'm gonna spend my day. Yes, no, I, I try to plan it out. I, but my job even requires, part of what I have to do, is I have to remain flexible because I never know what a day's gonna bring. Amen. And I, here's, here's an issue, I never wake up and go, hmm, what am I gonna do today? My day is pretty planned. I've always got something going on. But here, here's the way it is. If I don't guard, if I, if I don't hold on to my priorities, the tyranny of the urgent will sneak its way in and I'll end up actually, with the best of intentions, I'll spend my time doing all the little things okay. that just kind of get, they're not the important things. The phone, it's like the devil knows my telephone number. And the minute I sit down to try to give God that first place and that time and, and I want to begin my day the right, the phone will buzz. The email will, I have, to, I have to almost, if I'm not intentional and on purpose, if I don't schedule in my time with God first, everything else works its way in. Anybody hear what I'm saying right now? So why in the world would this even be important, Pastor? Why would it matter? That's what he says when he says live as the wise and not the unwise. It's easy to go through life and just let stuff happen where all you're doing is responding to stuff. And in fact, here, here, tell, tell me this isn't true. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you're a student. I don't care if you own a business. You're in the middle of your life, elderly. It, it, everybody says the same thing. If you ask a person how they're doing, the general response, I'm doing fine. What's going on? Here's the next words. I'm really busy. You hear that? I'm busy. What are you doing? I don't know. But I am really busy. And we confuse activity with now with progress we think just because we're active and there's motion most of the time it's just commotion and it's not really getting us where we need to go to the tyranny of the urchin i just wrote down you've got to learn to control your schedule by scheduling your priorities look two two great stories here first one is with um, pastor marcus and amy i know amy really well. <laughs> For those who don't know, Amy's my, my daughter. She's my oldest child. And uh, we, we're blessed. Um, as, as my children have all become adults and most of them have gotten married and started their own families, uh, trying to find time. We, this is what, we have to plan to do this. Our intention is always to try to get together and connect but if we're not intentional and we don't schedule it, it just doesn't. It's like eating dinner with your family. If you're not intentional about it, you'll never do it. That's what happens. Things get in the way. And especially at the velocity that we live life today. Yes or no? I mean, it goes fast. All right. So we, every summer, take time as a family to get away for a little more than a week. All of us. And we hang out. We give that time to each other. And during this last time... Um, I, I, I get up early, and the older that I get, the earlier it seems that I, I get up. Sleeping in anymore is like 6 or 6.15. I feel lucky when I can do that. So this morning, it's like 4.30, man. I just wake up, and I, my first thing is to get out of bed and give God that first part of my day, yes. and just, to, just to, to plan that. But like I said, man, the tyranny of the urgent can get in the way. I can start making lists of things. I, I mean, it can be silly things. 
on our trip this last year, I get up early. And normally, um, that time's when the house is quiet and no one's stirring around. And that's what makes it easy for me to kind of focus. But on our trip this year, we're in Phoenix. We'd rented a house. And I see Amy and Marcus get up and I can watch them. They go outside and I can watch them from the window. And every morning, here's what they do. So they give each other a kiss, grab their cup of coffee, they'd split up, and they'd each have a Bible, and they'd read their Bible, and they'd just spend time praying every single morning. And it provoked me thinking, I, I think I have a pretty disciplined life, but I don't do it like they do. And here's the most amazing thing. You might go, well, they're pastors. They're paid to do that stuff. <laughs> Let me, <laughs> they have six kids. When's the last time you tried to read anything with six kids, man? They have to get up early, be intentional. The kids are still asleep. Sometimes they tell them you have to stay in your room till we're done. I heard them say that a couple times. But they're very intentional about that time right there. And it so provoked me. I actually wrote them this last week, and I said, listen, I don't know why this continues to stay in my mind. Maybe I'm just supposed to encourage you with it. But your walk with God has so encouraged me that since we've been back from our vacation, every day I've not failed to make this my priority every day, and I'm so proud of you in that stance that you've taken right there. I think when you learn to be careful and not careless, most of us walk around, we're singing songs today. Marcus is making a transition about growing. I think every person in this room that's a believer, yes or no, you want to grow. Right. Yes. So, does growth just happen accidentally? No. Not when it comes to spiritual growth. I think most of us treat our spiritual growth like we do physical. It'll just happen because that's the way God programmed it. That's not true. You grow, you mature, you learn when you become intentional about it, and that's where your walk is happening. Let me, let me, let me just write it this way. Let me give you two truths about time. See if you can agree with this. So they're, they're not some brainiac thing. I just wrote it down. Just thinking about time this week. Two truths. Number one, we all have a limited amount of time. Yes or no? Yes. So here's what the Bible says. God knows the number of days. Our days have already been numbered. He knows the exact number of days we each get. So we have a limited amount of time. You agree with that? Yes. Then if that's true, here's the second thing. No one knows how much time they have. Why is it people always wait to the end to decide to make the most out of their time? Why do we wait till we don't have any left before we get serious about it? So I remember a guy, this is early on in the life of the church, um, and, and the guy had begun attending because his wife had talked him into it. And I remember I watched the progress in his life, man. We were in a storefront, and at first he was kind of skeptical in the back. And I, I used to say this from time to time, um, standing up when I would teach. I would say, if you stay here long enough, we're going to get you. I would just tell people right up front, you stay here long enough, we're going to get you. And I watched this guy progress back, and pretty soon he's in the middle. Before you know it, he's at the front. Man, he gave his life to Christ. It was really a neat process. And it just was like, man, he was, he was drinking from a fire hose. So much was happening in his life. Right after that, the guy gets diagnosed with cancer. And we prayed for him for healing, and man, we just... We believed and <laughs> he died. And I remember spending the last couple of weeks with him and he wanted to plan his funeral out, what he wanted said. 
And it was really a neat process, but these were his words to me, and they kind of stuck in my mind. He said, Pastor, at least I got the last year of my life right. Now, on one hand, that's really good, but why do we wait till the last, the end, to finally get it right? If it's true, listen, if it's true that we all have a limited amount of time and no one knows how much that time is, then isn't it true we've got to be all the more on purpose with it? You've got to be particular. You've got to decide. You've got to be discriminating in what and who that's spent with. All right, if it's true, what I said about time, we all have a limited amount and no one knows the amount. Let me, let me give you a, a scripture that I think corresponds with that. Solomon, the writer of Ecclesiastes, he was a very wise man. Solomon said these two things. A wise person knows, look at this, what to do and they know when to do it. I want you to think about this for a moment. Most of us are always praying, God, show me what to do. But that's an incomplete prayer. What you really need is not just knowledge, but you need to know when to apply knowledge. Let me give you a practical. I'm not trying to be crass with this. I just think it's an excellent example. When it comes to a woman conceiving, you do have to have knowledge what to do. Don't be afraid. I'm not going any deeper with that, but just agree with me. You do have, you have to have knowledge. You need to know what to do. But she can only conceive a couple days a month, so it's not enough to just have knowledge. You have to know when in order to see conception because with conception comes birth, and with that birth, man, it's the greatest of possibilities. In your life spiritually, it's the exact same thing. It's not enough to know what to do, when to do it, so that it creates something inside. If you own a business, it's not enough to be smart about your business. You also have to have enough brains to know when to do it. It's not enough to know what to do in marriage, but when to do it. You get out of the timing. Life is a lot about timing. Do you agree with that right there? How does it apply? We only have so much time. We don't know how much time. So a wise person would realize that right now, and they would go... I need to know what to do with the time that I have, but man, I need to know when to do it. When? Now. You don't know what you have, apply it now. Get moving now. Act on it now. By the way, Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 5 is the reference to what to do and when to do it. Let me, let me give you the second one. So three ways just simply to live on purpose. Paul writes to the Ephesians, be careful how you live your lives, not as unwise, but as wise people making the most of every opportunity. So let me, let me two is just simply um, be on purpose with opportunities. Be on purpose with opportunities. And here's, here's uh, when I was writing the message a couple weeks ago, what I will do sometimes is just, rather than, um, <clears throat> rather than just try to like, get it all out on paper, I like, to, I like to try to just get my mind before the Lord and allow him to try to impress things on me. So I, sometimes I'll just write down the thoughts that I'm having. So here, when I wrote down on purpose, here, here were the thoughts I had about what I think it means to be on purpose. I think it means to be ready, to be prepared, to be proactive, to be intentional about opportunities. Now, let me, let me I forgot which one of my teaching team said this to me, but it was a brilliant statement. And, and this is what, what was said to me. 
Um, when it comes to opportunities, most people think of opportunities in this realm. And let me just expand the way you think right now. Most people think of opportunities this way. God, bring me opportunities. Do you agree with that state? We pray, bring, let me have, give me a chance. Bring something my way. But another way to think about it is instead of waiting for opportunity, you could go out and find opportunity. Do you agree with that statement? It is possible to do that. And as a believer, I think that's what it means to live on purpose, to not be uh, foolish, but to be wise. It's to be on purpose with your opportunities. Rather than come to me, go to them. So let me give you a couple of examples of this. Uh, pastor DJ. Now, our pastors, look, you, you, you don't know this. We don't take, we have very little upfront time, so we're, we're very intentional about how much we say and what we advertise and how much time. Let me just brag on them for a minute. They all do these things. Every, every man and woman on this staff do these things. Some do it different ways, though. Uh, so we do about somewhere between 100 and 125 weddings every year within the walls of our church. And all the pastors split those things up, and our summers stay pretty busy doing weddings, believe it or not. And that's, that doesn't, that's, that's above and beyond the, the, the other things you're already doing on a regular basis. But here's, here's the thought. We're doing this primarily for people inside the four walls of the church who already know the Lord. So we started asking ourselves, what kind of opportunities can we go after for people who don't know Christ? Because a lot of times, here's what we're praying. God, bring them in. But what if we went out? Okay, let me... <laughs> This is a good place just even to smile at. Instead of bring them in, what if we thought, let's shine the light out? So here's what what some of my guys decided to do. And they all do this in different ways, but this one was really cool. Um, There are are actual websites and there are uh, businesses that have been developed to try to connect uh, people who do weddings with people who want to get married. And so... um, some of our pastors, as busy as they are, just decided, you know what, rather than, than just doing it for people inside of our church, we're not going to diminish that, but can we bring God to people who otherwise wouldn't have a chance to hear about this? So they signed themselves up on this website to start doing weddings, and it's amazing how many weddings they've been doing for people who don't know God. And Now, here, here's the brilliant thing about it. We get to decide what we say at the wedding. And we have a captive audience to preach the love of Jesus to. So um, DJ recently did a really cool wedding for people who, they're not church people. They don't know, they don't know the Lord. But man, he he just, he was Jesus to those people. And and because of doing it this way, you know, anymore, any business, people can rate you on the internet. You, You know what I'm talking about? Now they can rate pastors. So I found a rating this week that this family, this couple did for Pastor DJ. And I want to read it to you and embarrass the fire out of him. (laughs) So he did this wedding for people who don't know God. And then they rated it on the job he did so that everybody, and this is what the lady wrote. DJ was our answered prayer. The words he spoke were genuine and powerful. He did an amazing job at our wedding. My husband and I had people tell us they never cry at weddings, but they did at ours. People are still telling us how amazing DJ was. 
His words and the words he chose to share from God are still living in our hearts. He made our ceremony exactly the way we wanted it. And we can't wait, listen, we can't wait to have him continue to influence our marriage and lives. Church people don't even give you that kind of compliment. (laughs) That, think about that right there. Most people are like, bring an opportunity to me. Man, here's Paul, make the most of every opportunity out there. Make your own opportunity. Go after it. Think about it. All right, let me, let me give you one outside of the realm of, of pastors and church. Missy Franklin. Know the name? Yes. Missy, actually, we, we, we have a connection to her through our church. She grew up not very far from here. What a sweet girl, man. And what a difficult Olympics she just had. And I, here, let me just, the one, how about... Missy Franklin compared to Ryan Locke. Never mind, that's, a, that's, a, that's not my message today. <laughs> Cheap shot. I'm oh, sorry. Missy went through an unbelievable, difficult... I don't know if you saw her. She, just, she hung her head at times, but she, she conducted herself with such dignity at each of those times when the, the press is right there in your face. How many of you know, man, right after you get beat, that's not the time to be interviewed. That's a difficult time to say the right thing. And she conducted herself with such grace. From the Denver Post last week, Mark Kisla wrote this really powerful article. I don't think that Mark is a believer. And I made a mistake. I I said it was Mike Kliss, which is another writer, last night. And uh, before I could get home, many people pointed that out to me. I just wanted to thank you for... (laughs) keeping me honest in my, <laughs> my job. Mark Kisla wrote these words. He interviewed Missy right after the final failure. And uh, this is how his article, does it hurt to watch her? You're darn straight it does. But imagine after swimming the width of the Atlantic Ocean to prepare for the Olympics, how it must feel to be in Franklin's skin right now. Quote, this is Missy. Right now, it's my faith in God that's getting me through this. Listen to this. In my mind, with Jesus, pain has a purpose. Franklin said, I know God is going to make something beautiful out of this. He's going to transform me and my life into something better than all of this right now. I have no idea what it is, and I sure wish he'd tell me. I think a lot of times when we think of being on purpose and making the most of every opportunity, we always think when the big thing happens, I want to step into the moment. Let me, let me share a real powerful secret with you. A mentor, when I first got into ministry, in my early 20s, told me this. The man said, if you want to impress people, go ahead and tell them about all your successes. But if you want to impact them, Share where you struggle and fail. So why? Because not many people in this room have won Olympic medals. Most of us, we don't relate. But many of us have had Olympic failures. Some of us are so good, we won gold in lying. 
we failed multiple times in multiple ways. And this is not down on you because I'm just talking at large. I'm just saying the time to be the most like Jesus is not just in a touchdown situation, but it's when a failure happens because your faith is real when it hurts and you still hold on to it. Your faith is genuine, not when everything is going well, but when the chips are down and you still hold on to Christ. That's real, folks. That's the real deal. That's making the most of every opportunity. Mostly when we fail, we're embarrassed. What if God wanted you in every opportunity? How many is every? Any? All? Make the most of every opportunity. Every chance. Every part. Hmm. I... Dan Bauman. He's one of our missionaries. We love, man. Do you guys remember Dan? Yeah. Some of you know Dan. Dan, uh, Dan works with YWAM, Youth with a Mission. We've had Dan speak here multiple times. Dan travels the world. The most incredible stories about what God is. The problem that I see with the day and age we live in is that, is that by and large, the media only reports the negative that's going on And God is doing more today in this world than at any other time in history. And we're just so unaware of what's going on in our world today. And that's just so unfortunate. What I love about when Dan comes is that he's in Iran and he's in places where the church is thriving right now. We never hear those stories. Where they're having to figure out how to survive. And they're growing so rapidly. Dan was hiking in Kauai. He lives in Hawaii. That's where the YWAM main base is at. He was hiking, and he slipped and fell somewhere between 30 and 50 feet, and he hit his head. This happened a couple of months ago. By the time they could find him, he had lost 50% of the blood in his body. And they didn't think he was going to live. So they take him to the hospital in Kauai, and Kauai said, we can't handle this. They fly him to Honolulu, and Honolulu said, we just, there's, we're not equipped for this. So he ultimately ended up at Craig Hospital in Inglewood. You know, Craig's one of the foremost hospitals in the United States. It deals with spinal cord injury and traumatic brain injury. And Dan, look, I know this, this word is overused, miraculous recovery. I think we say it about everything. You get a cold, it's miraculous. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> Marcus and I, just over the past... Um, couple weeks visiting, and we've watched Dan go from a wheelchair to a walker to now he's walking on his own. And we watched where, so the brain injury, he couldn't talk, and he couldn't control one side of his face very well, to where it's come back now, and he's talking well now. And I told him, the truth of the matter is, if they knew how you were before this, they're trying to push you beyond what you were before the accident. I don't know if we can get you all the way there just trying to make him laugh a little bit. It's a rehabilitation hospital and he's so, if you know him, man, he's just go, go, go. I, he travels 300 days a year all over the world and he's just like, I want to get out of here. I need to get back. I need to get back and yet there's still the effects of what's going on. So here's what the doctors told him. We want you to stay here till October the 8th, which is like a prison sentence for him. And so we were there just this last week hanging out with him, and he's like, Marcus, what do I do? 
John, what do I do? Where's, what's God saying? And so she said, do you trust these doctors? And he said, I felt like God gave me these doctors. I said, then their word needs to be like the word of the Lord to you. And if they say October the 8th, then stay here till October the 8th so that when you go back, you can actually stay and not come back and forth. And I said, Dan, you don't know, but that God may be giving you an opportunity for these people who may not ever get another opportunity. And this, he goes, they've asked me to preach. I said, what? He said, part of the rehabilitation is they want you to tell your story. And, you know, he's written several books. And he goes, so the whole medical staff's going to gather together and they want me to tell my story. <laughs> and he said, I, I get to preach to them. Otherwise, you know, they're not going to come to the church. And I said, Dan, would you stay till October the 8th to give someone a chance to hear about Jesus that may never get another chance to hear about it? Of course, man, we're having church in his room right then. Everybody in and out of that room, no matter how wounded he is, he's preaching the gospel too. He makes the most of every opportunity. And we always think in the high thing, I'll make the most. Will you make the most in the low thing? It's ministered more to me where his stance is right now than everything he's ever said before. And by the way, here's what I told him. I said, Dan, you've got the next 20 years worth of material now. God just, he gave it. You got a whole new book. His first book, Imprisoned in Iran. His second one, Captive in Colorado. It's perfect. That's, I haven't told him that yet because I need to copyright it before I, I tell him the, the name of it. So I'll just give you the last one and I'll close because I'm, I'm going to run out of my time here. Um, this scripture tells us, be careful versus careless. Be on purpose with opportunities. Last but not least, it says, know God's will. How do you live on purpose? You've got to know what God's will is. And this is where people are so, some people say, can you really know God's will to the nth degree? Yes. You bet you can. I said, I'm, I'm going to help you learn this real quick. So there's big picture, God's will, and you already know it, believe it or not. So say it with me. It's called the Lord's Prayer. Okay, I'll start it. Our Father... No, stop. So the big picture is God's will should be done on the earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus told us to pray. So if I make it practical for you, all you need to do is realize what it looks like in heaven to figure out what our job here is on the earth. It's just real easy. Are people starving in heaven? Then the church should feed people. Are people being oppressed in heaven? Then we should fight for justice. Does disease run rampant in heaven? No. Then the church should do all it can to be praying for that and investing in that and doing what we can to eradicate it. Are little children thrown away in heaven? We make God's will so difficult sometimes. But that's big picture, right? What about me? What about me? What about knowing God's will for me? It's Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It's my, one of my favorite scriptures in the Bible. Um, Paul writes this to a group of believers who are trying to figure out what God's will is. And so he gives them this advice. Don't copy the behaviors and the customs of this world to figure it out. Instead, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you what? 
And if you'll let God get a hold of your mind and renew your mind, here's what will happen. Then you will learn to know God's will for... Okay, I'm going to do it one more time. Your mouth opens and words come out. Okay? So I'm going to read it one more time. Then you will learn to know God's will for... And here's God's will. It's good, pleasing, and perfect. So you can know God's will for you. You can know it big picture for the earth. But you can know it personally for you. And here's how he's telling you you do this. The the battle for your life is not fought out here. The battle for your life is fought right here. The one that controls this, that helps you to know how to think and how to see and how to understand, this is where it's won or lost, right here. And what God is asking is for you, let me change this so that you can understand what my will is. So you can even be a believer but not have your mind renewed and here's how you'll think about God's will. God has not been good to me or God has not been faithful or fair to me or it seems like it works out for everybody else and I just don't understand this. Okay, I'll give you that. So let's call it what it is. It's not God being unfaithful. It's us not understanding in space and time what's going on which means we've got to learn more. Do you agree? We're so quick. Maybe the number one area that believers need to be transformed in the way they think is the way they think about God. The way we think about God. That gets fixed, man. Mm. To know God's will for my life. It's a powerful, powerful concept. All right. Father, I realize people from all different walks of life, living in many different cities, from many varied backgrounds hear this message and it all gets filtered in the life that they're living right now and the thing that makes the scripture so powerful is that it can speak to any person at any time in any situation the thing that God needs them to hear Lord we want to open up our hearts and Father we want you to renew our minds most importantly God we want it to be like the theme of this whole service today has been about maturing. It's been about growing. been about uh, becoming like Jesus. And ultimately, we want to be like Jesus so that when we look at this world, we respond like Jesus did. And when we see people hurting, we respond like Jesus did. And when we see people doing well, we respond like Jesus did. And when we see people failing, we respond like Jesus did. Father, we want to be like Jesus. It's what you call us to, to mature to the measure of the man, Christ. God, help that to be true. Let us move beyond the pettiness of just thinking, my needs, my needs, my needs. God, let us go to the place where we begin to really see the world the way you see it. Understand our role here, Father God, why you've placed us here. You've given us so much. How then shall we live? God, impress upon us the importance of those words and the power of those words. What the world could be like if we did it. I just thank and I praise you for that now. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to let you go, but I'll let you go with this right here before you take off. Give you a quick update. Our project on our um, building in Highlands Ranch. If you haven't heard, in a nutshell, it just simply goes this way. We want to plant our sixth campus. We've been praying about how to do that. And rather than increasing our budget, God gave us a wonderful way to do it. We can buy a building where our office is 
in our Highlands Ranch location are at right now. We can buy it for $2.5 million, which is a lot of money, but the good news is it's appraised at $3.9 million. By buying it, we gain a million and a half dollars in equity, which solidifies our church in the long run. But most important, here's what happens. We cut our expenses by $25,000, putting everything into one. And that $25,000 gives us a lot of room to plant a lot of campuses. So we felt like this is what the Lord was telling us to do. By the way, this is not for our visitors. This is for people who call JFC their home. So what I just simply asked our people to do, rather than going into some big building program, twisting arms, having someone come and teach week in and week out, give, give, give. Here's what I just thought I would do. I would just ask the people that love this church and hear God's voice to pray about whether or not you want to participate in it. And if you do, would you do that? So the two things you need to do simply are this. If you want to give towards it, mark on it Parker so we know where to put it. Don't take your tithe to do it because that doesn't help anybody. The tithe takes care of the stuff we're already committed to. This is giving beyond that to do something greater in the kingdom. Maybe most importantly, I would just simply, I, I would share this right here. And this is, um, th this is, to me, this is maybe where it's most exciting. Each one of our campuses have helped the other campus. It's like this campus built Highlands Ranch and Highlands Ranch did Castle Rock and Castle Rock did Lakewood. Lakewood helped when we did online. And each campus, look, we meet in different places, but we're one church. We help each other. And it's a chance for us to do something great. My bottom line is that I want global domination. I'm going to take over the world. But if I can't get that, then I'll take South Denver. Some of you are like, I knew he was a nut. I you know I don't mean global domination. But I do want to change our city. And I do want to reach as many people as I can with the gospel. And here's the way the Lord's done it. If you're thinking, man, I can't make a difference. That is such faulty thinking. I'm not asking one person to make the difference. I'm asking all of us to do what you can. And it's when it all comes in together that it makes the whole. Pray about that. And if the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, do it. And thank you for listening to me. Have an awesome day. Get out of here. Thank you.